I I waited a while. My computer was four and a half years old. It's missing a foot. Uh, I maxed out the hard drive space, so it was yelling. Yeah, a foot. You know the little things on the bottom. Yeah. Do you have like furniture? What is this like one of those old TVs? <laughs> is there a radio? Is there also a radio in your computer? Do you have to crank it like like an old car window? Oh, he has hamsters for that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how else do you get your exercise? <laughs> Hi, this is the first time we've had a guest, right? Oh, it is. Beautiful. I feel special now. That's amazing. You are super special. (laughs) Robert, do you want to introduce yourself to our audience of one? (laughs) Of course. Thank you. So um, I'm Robert. I'm part of the DG Studios. We're out in LA. We do basically everything that has to do with online marketing, um, development of apps, of websites, everything that moves through code. And so we, we deal with projects from smaller projects for foundations. We love helping, for example, we work a lot with the Sri Lanka Foundation and we help various other charities and up to bigger corporations where we have infrastructure built internally for the teams, you know, uh, for people working across multiple continents and so on. So from small to large, we, we, we tend to prefer larger projects because it's just more exciting for us. But the smaller ones are great also, especially if they have you know an impact on the business and on the people because that's just like uh, rewarding at the end so that's us <laughs> that's great yeah what kind of uh, things are you working on right now uh well there are various things i can't speak of and some i can but the ones i can't speak of are more interesting so i'm just go- not gonna say names so something we're we're building <laughs> right now is i find fascinating and slightly scary at the same time so we're building artificial intelligence software for a bank in the us to allow people to get the credit automatically so it literally you fill in all of the the questions and everything that he has the software automatically does a background check and tells you how much credit you can pull out, you know, from how you are right now. And that to me is very exciting that we can do that at the same time. I really do not want to give that to the power of anyone, you know, on the internet to do that. It's just like, <laughs> I, I don't think they should, banks should do that. I understand it's productive, but I, I don't think it's effective. That's so interesting. It's, it's very interesting for us. One that I can talk about, they're, they're just launching, so their, their website is already online, is Dermasensor. So they have, they patented the technology, which literally, they have a little pen. It's literally not bigger than a pen, it's just slightly thicker because it has like a a screen on it. And you touch various parts of your skin, so wherever you have a rash or whatever, and it almost instantly tells you if it's cancerous, if you need to take any medication, the risk factor, and so on. So literally in, in a few seconds. And this will increase the productivity of dermatologists you know across the board in like everywhere on the planet so literally instead of getting tests and waiting two weeks and whatever things like that like with the samples and so on you can find out in a few seconds and if i remember correctly the success ratio is like 90 something percent but the thing is that doctors so real doctors 
their success ratio is actually lower because like 92% <laughs> accurate. So this is like 96 or something like that. So that's it's even crazy. more accurate than, than what doctors say. So that's beautiful. And we're also working with artificial intelligence on pinpointing, you know, like with pictures, mm. how those things work and so on and how they progress or digress, you know, in case you're healing. It's quite, quite adventurous. So we, th those are the type of projects we like. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. awesome. I don't know if I'm more surprised that they've built a tool that can do that or that doctors were 92% accurate before <laughs> that. Well, I mean, after you figure it out, you know, like like with everything, you, you sort of figure out the pattern. I mean, many people need to pay the price, you know, until you figure that out. But after you see, oh, well, they did die. So this means that it really was, you know, bad. So let, let's let's take that into consideration and next time figure it out faster, you know. And I, I just <laughs> recently heard a TED talk that it blew my mind. There's a ratio. I can't remember how it's called, but it basically says how many people need to use a substance or a treatment until the treatment actually works. So for one medicine that's literally given across the board, it's, it's as common as aspirin. I can't remember what it heals, but it has a ratio of 1 to 49. So literally 49 people have to take it until the medicine actually helps one person. Wow. You know, so literally it's <laughs> 49 to 1 is the ratio. And the 48 people before that, have no positive effect whatsoever. The only thing they do have is the side effects. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so, I love that. Yeah. So I love it, those commercials. It's, it's crazy. About side effects. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Oh, it, it's so cool that we're in an industry with technology that we can start to kind of blend in and help others, like just medicine in general. I think. That's something in my pat in the past I've been super interested in, you know, in terms of with design, a lot of the principles that we use to build software, you know, like slow, slow, incremental, you know, agile, iterative process. Yeah. Those things could be applied to other industries as well, especially in, in medicine. It's interesting, though. It's it's hard because that's a whole different ball of wax, you know, academia and that kind of a thing. Is there a struggle there in, in terms of trying to kind of meld the two together? As you mentioned academia, so I do find all of these industries very, very specific. So medicine and medtech, we build medtech. So medicine is very different from academia as in education, mm -hmm. which is very different than the financial services, which is very, very different as, for example, insurance. We also help people with insurance and especially now with GDPR. Luckily, all of our servers were secured and we didn't store information that we, we shouldn't have stored or things like that. But GDPR really affected a ton of people here in Europe. And it's, it's crazy to see people because GDP, just so everyone on the podcast knows, GDPR is a law that was passed in 2016. So they literally gave people two years to prepare for GDPR, which went live in May this year, 2018. Mm -hmm. And everyone in like before May in April was like, Oh my God, GDPR, this thing is actually going to happen. And the fines, if, if you're not compliant are like a quarter million dollars, you know, the minimum <laughs> fine. And many businesses don't make that much, you know, definitely not that much in profit, you know, so they can't afford to be uncompliant. 
So, but it's crazy because they, they thought about this when they passed the law and said, it's going to take a while for businesses to actually adopt this. So let's give them two years. Literally, right. no, no one did anything for one and a half years. And then half year ago, consultants started taking that on because they knew it's coming. So like they started preparing and just like one or two months ago, um, people actually started using it. So now we have two or even three people that are certified in D GDPR, you know, and even so one way we would hire in the past was that we would get, you know, all of the CVs from people from like the re recruitment sites and so on. And we would literally store all of those and have like a big Excel spreadsheet with all of their numbers, emails, names, whatever, etc. So recently we were hiring developers and I asked my assistant, where's the sheet? I, I, why, why don't you just give me the sheet? And she's like, we can't do sheets anymore. We, we, we're not allowed to store mm -hmm. their phone number anymore. Right. So like, oh, oh my, God. my God, that's a thing. That's, that's really a thing. We can't store their phone number. Just like it's in the CV, but they shared the CV with us. So that, that's fine, you know? Oh my right. God, it was crazy. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's, it's just real. I, yeah. I, I love how collectively it makes me feel better about my own procrastination that like collectively, like an entire like, population <laughs> to waited a year, like all, a little shy under two years to do anything about this thing. <laughs> Oh. That's so funny. Oh my god. Yeah, I didn't know it was it was passed like two years ago. Mm. I just I love that because everyone was scrambling and then yes. I got my inbox was flooded with all of these notices about how everything has been updated. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, oh, okay, this must be new. But nope, it's been a couple of years. Mm. I love the procrastination on the large scale. It's just very comforting. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that true of like all human nature? If you give us a deadline, we'll wait until the end. Of the, like, I wonder how many, like the percentage of companies that like got to that point before, like a couple months before the deadline. Mm -hmm. Right. And who notified them? Because someone, yeah. pe not everyone was keeping track. Yeah. So who was that person? He was like, um, I've been telling you for the past two yeah. years. Like, yeah. we gotta get our, we gotta get our act together here. I wonder yeah. how much those those consultants made in the last like few months oh, that, of like, yeah, I'm a GDPR expert. That was like Christmas. Oh, yeah. That was like the retail yes. Christmas of GDPR yeah. compliance. You know, like every Seriously? if you haven't sold anything until Black Friday, that was the Black Friday of GDPR compliance. Yeah. <laughs> That oh April God. and May leading up to that, that was like the biggest boom, I think, I think for them. And oh with, with regards of like human nature, I feel the only way, uh, the only reason or the only two reasons you procrastinate is number one, you don't want to do it. So you mm -hmm. really don't want to do it. And then number two, it's scary. So one of the, yeah. one of the two, those are the two only reasons I feel people procrastinate. Because if you like it, if you really want to do it and you feel competent in doing it, you're going to do it right now. And that, that you actually want to do it. You're excited about doing it. So you never procrastinate on something you like doing and you're not scared of. You only procrastinate on things that either you're, you're scared of, you know, or you really don't mm -hmm. want to do. So GDPR is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. If you tell me that I have two years to do something, mm -hmm. I mean, Part of that is right, unless I really want to do it. Mm -hmm. I'll, like I'm not, I'm gonna wait two years. Just stop un until I <laughs> until that deadline is closer. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm gonna push that off until I, I don't have to do like until it's getting a lot closer. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, let's say it's something like very important to you because if you have within your daily schedule, you have a ton of things already going on, and you see the world through that perspective. 
So the reason you would put something aside for two years is because you have a bunch of other things going on. But mm -hmm. let's say in the perspective of a world in which tomorrow you wouldn't have anything to do and you are giving here are 10 things you would that you can do. You just make your choice. You would literally start and work on the thing you love most and you feel most competent about, right? Or if you're like Tim Ferriss or whatever, you would just start salsa dancing or like jujitsu or whatever, <laughs> yeah. something that's very scary for you and you really want wanted to, to experiment with, you know, but it's just, it just goes in the same, same direction. So you won't yeah. procrastinate if, yeah. if you have the option not to. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the things I like doing just don't have deadlines. Mm -hmm. So the the fact that there is a deadline on anything it mm. makes me not i'm like oh god i don't want to do that <laughs> that was that was exactly what i was gonna say is like just the fact that there is a deadline on it means that i probably don't want to do it <laughs> yeah, yeah they're very helpful though for mm. that last minute for knowing what i'm gonna do like 12 hours before mm. <laughs> like a like a date mm. I actually oh went away from using deadlines to using the concept of billing, of time and resources and so on. And I just say, okay, I need to do this, whether it's a design, whether it's talking with the client or whether it's, you know, a sales cycle or mm -hmm. whatever goal it is. I just say, how many hours is this going to take me to do that? And so, for example, if it takes me, let's say, 100 hours, because I've been doing this for like, what, 10, 15 years. So I, I more mm -hmm. or less know, have a good estimate of how much something's going to take me. So let's say if it takes 100 hours, I just say, OK, it's going to take me 100 hours. If I put in one hour a day, you know, it's going to take me whatever. How, how much is that? Like 20 weeks, you know. But mm -hmm. if I put in four hours a day, it's literally going to take me one month. You know, so it's just it just works like that. And um, I don't see deadlines anymore. I just see level of effort and I just keep myself mm -hmm. accountable. And at the end, I measure, OK, I said this is going to take and this is very useful in the agency business and everything we do, you know, in the digital era, because everyone wants mm -hmm. to know. I want I want to know the estimate, estimate, estimate. How much is this going to take? Right. And we just had a conversation with someone that wants to build an EPUB reader. And so for like a very, very niche market. So they want to build an EPUB reader and they want us to put in like that feature that you see in Kindle and in iBooks where you can just literally select anything you want and then put a comment there or a note or keep it or bookmark it or whatever. And the module they use, because they work with someone else previously, the module they use literally does not have the feature. So they want mm -hmm. us to estimate how much it's going to take to go into the module and custom build an API that is then going to allow us, you know, to build the code to, to make that work. And I said, we have no idea. It's a custom module. We've never worked with it, you know, and it's so, so niched down that most dev agencies wouldn't have worked with it. So you literally need like a discovery phase to figure out how much that's going to take, you know? Yeah. You know, I used to work in an agency mm -hmm. where before I even met the client or even knew what the project was kind mm -hmm. of, I was asked by so many people, like, how many hours will this take? I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know what the project is. <laughs> like, and then you just start giving out fake numbers so, so they'll stop asking you. Yeah. And then you hope that it works out. But I've, I was always been, we here really try and avoid giving that kind of estimate. I think for us, we do it by time spent, really. So instead of telling a client, like, this, this feature is going to take this many hours, this many weeks, rather we take it in terms of, well, we'll see how important it still is in the coming weeks, like mm -hmm. through testing, like it's a lot looser approach. 
and we just bill for time spent, you know, mm -hmm. on on the project, mm -hmm. which is we we found very helpful and flexible for us in case we come upon a discovery, you know, during the project that well, hey, actually we we need more time. We should mm -hmm. really dig into this, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's been super helpful. Yeah. I think when I do give estimations, it's always with a range mm -hmm. so that people understand that this is a total guess. Mm -hmm. And I think I do the like typical, like have an estimate, double it, and then double it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. I love that equation. <laughs> yeah. Those are my two tricks mm -hmm. is like, this is the low end. This is the high end. Mm -hmm. We think we'll be somewhere in between, and typically we always hit the high end. Yeah. And then the other trick is like taking an estimate and doubling it mm -hmm. and doubling it again. <laughs> I, I think some of that is just like, it depends on the timeline too. Like if you're estimating a story that is smaller, I think mm -hmm. the doubling and doubling it again makes a lot of sense. If you're estimating some, a huge project, there's so much unknown involved in that, which is why we do time and materials contracts mm -hmm. that we don't want to be beholden to something. Even like I've started so many apps and like halfway through or even a couple weeks in, we're like, we need to pivot in a new direction. We need to change this business. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Half of our projects are time and materials. Sometimes yep. just... Um, the corporations are very, very keen on, okay, we want exactly this, let us know. And it's literally part of the RFP, RFQ, you know, mm -hmm. like you, you literally, you know, say, okay, how much is this going to cost? And then they make decision. Then we hop on various calls. They interview our team, whatever, you know. So at the end of the day, we do prefer time and materials, but we do understand how businesses need to budget for whatever projects they have. So let's say you have, yeah. I don't know, a hundred grand budget for R&D this year. You know, you want to make sure mm -hmm. whatever you want to build is not going to pass that, you know, so it just makes sense. Oh, Absolutely. Right. And and we work with our clients to make sure if they do have a strict budget like that to be like, okay, what are you hoping to get into this budget and, and work with them week to week of like, what is feasible? Mm -hmm. I think that open communication is the most important thing throughout throughout the project as concerning to the budget. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had a question based off of like the projects that you had mentioned early on, like it seems like the two projects you mentioned are, are dealing with like AI and, and probably some machine learning. And those are like heavily technical, but also there's probably some social cognitive things for people. Like when you first ta started talking about the bank, I think there's a trust thing there that like the first thing I thought to myself is like, I don't know if I would trust the bank's security enough to fill out all of that information. Mm -hmm. That might be a like I'm telling myself a lie because I'm sure I, I've filled <laughs> out credit things online before. But like I, I assume there's there's somewhat of a jump to just like seeing that right away because we're so conditioned to like talking to a human or or, or through like in, in that situation. And the same thing could be said with the medical device, like. If I have, I don't know how expensive it is, but like if that's affordable for someone to have at their house to like track their skin cancer or, or whatever it is, or when I go into the dermatologist and they just do that, like, am I still trusting the derm, like the, the years of school that the dermatologist mm. had if they're just like relying on this device? Mm. So like, have you done like user interviews and, and, and testing to like 
see if people are are able to make that cognitive leap or like okay or, or secure in those leaps so what's going to happen in the first instances and i feel this is something that's going to happen across the board now that ai is more and more like uh, in our lives is that at the beginning in the transitioning phase you will always have a human interaction so you will probably not buy the device what you will do is you will go to a dermatologist he will have the device he will test right right then and there you will get your answer and he will also take samples and you will also go through the process, you know, of actually testing it to see if the device was accurate, you know. And this way, you don't need to trust the device because you already have, you know, the medical expertise of the doctor there that was probably recommended to you by someone and so on and so forth. After this happens, you know, like a million times across the board, doctors will just literally stop testing and just use the device if the device is accurate, of course. So same thing with banks. So it'll probably not give off the bat loans at the beginning. What it will do is go through all of the interview process. Because for, so for example, when you go to a bank, if, if you know when you get the credit, they ask you a bunch of questions and send you paperwork. And so that takes a lot of time for the bank. So what mm-hmm. I feel is that the AI will literally take all of that information, put everything, store it, and then feed that information into the customer support rep, you know, and then they will contact you and follow up and check and whatever. So you will still have the human interaction, but mm-hmm. it will be much faster. And at one point, if literally one million times again, if it happens consistently well, then they'll just everyone will start trusting it, you know. That makes so much sense. <laughs> um, as you're building these tools out, how are you testing that? Or are you testing that like mm-hmm. interaction and making sure? And also, like, how are you testing the accuracy? And, and is, is that part of doing that still like manual process in terms of the dermatologist tool, like continuing to do par- essentially parallel tests? So like doing the test with the tool and then doing the normal test that they would have done before the tool mm-hmm. uh, and just continuing to judge the accuracy of the tool and continuing to like build that trust for the dermatologist and build the trust with, I guess, the dermatologist patient too. So in our industry, so we typically, we are hired to help. We are hired to support people that do not have the competencies that we have, the skill sets that we have. So what tends to happen is people prefer to have as many things internally, you know, in their own company as they can. And they only outsource things that they know they can get more value out of. So in 100% of the cases until now, clients do the test because they want to. So they want to take our software, they want to take our infrastructure and put it to the test in the real world. And then they do the test themselves and then come back and we work together, you know, to Mm -hmm. see what can be improved and so on. Like, for example, one of the things that the financial institution had is they were directly responsible or a department of this, you know, banks and financial institutions theoretically are very, very, very large. They have a lot of departments, a lot of stakeholders and so on. So one of those departments was responsible to actually give us all of the questions we need to ask and uh, in what order and so on and so forth. So we were given a very deliberate set of questions that our developers just literally built. <laughs> you know, it's just that simple. If, <laughs> if you tell me to ask this question at this moment, I'm going to do exactly that, you know. Mm. So we did that and we implemented it. It made sense. But then the final decision makers, you know, tested it and said, 
we can't give credit on the base of just these questions, you know, and they got super pissed and they came back to us <laughs> like, this is crappy and so on. And then we just stayed a bit and like, mm. who was responsible for giving the question? Oh and then basically they found out that it was their team internally that was responsible to work with us to do that. And they just never did that. <laughs> so it literally never happened. This <laughs> fell off the board. So that's like oh. politics and that things you need to deal with. But at the end of the day, the short answer to your question is that our clients tested so they they tested they take everything back and and then they make sure to give us feedback and then after that in most cases it's time and material because you don't know how much feedback they're going to have and what you need to implement yeah i continually to tell people that the hardest part about building software isn't actually building it mm -hmm. it's uh the communication around it and your example with the bank is just kind of like highlighted that which is like just especially with big companies like i assume this bank is like having different departments talk to each other getting the right people who are going to authorize like essentially like loans or i don't know if it's loans or, or credit card or, or whatever uh, mortgages but like i imagine those are those are big leaps big asks that involve multiple departments inside the bank and just to get them to talk sometimes is is one of the hardest parts of our job. Mm -hmm. Get them to talk and get them all in a room or on a conference call. That <laughs> is the worst. So yeah. it happens so <laughs> many times. Yeah. We've been going with one of our other clients. We've been going back to schedule one. I swear, one half an hour to 60 minute meeting. We've been going back and forth for three weeks. Three weeks. Oh God. It's just one feedback meeting that literally is, we're doing nothing. It's all, all pencils down. We're literally doing something else because we can't wait, you know, three weeks yeah. to, 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 for them to just find the time in between yeah. the departments to work. And many times what happens, and of course we don't tell them because we're polite, but we get so pissed off when we have, you know, like five of them in the room and then halfway through two of them just leave and they don't even tell us and we just we just speak and at one point they go oh that person left the room like 20 minutes ago I'm like what oh god like, right oh, excuse me you know i'm not there and i can't see you why why didn't you just tell me <laughs> but yeah uh, so yeah it's communication yeah I, I agree with kyle completely yeah we i was just in a, in a design sprint there was a lot of people in it too and it was it was actually really great. I mean, there's 10 of us in the room. So sometimes that can be really hard to, to manage because, you know, it's getting everyone in the room, facilitating the conversation. Everyone has really good ideas and everyone was super passionate. But it's interesting. Like I had to ask at one point, like, have you have you all had a chance to actually sit in a room yet and talk about this? Because there was just a lot of ideas like flying around and it was all great and there you know it was so it was such a great experience though because everyone was super respectful no one talked over each other everyone let each other speak and everyone built upon other ideas i was in like a in like an oasis it was just <laughs> like amazing but it was so much information so those for sprints it's sometimes hard too like when you're getting everyone to actually be there in a physical physical place you know, sometimes teams are, they have a million things going on and they're kind of distracted and they are on their laptop 
Like there's times in the past too where we have to explicitly say like no laptops for this session because people have emails, like people have other things they have to do. And like people are used to being in meetings and not being in a meeting, like mm -hmm. doing something else while in a meeting. <laughs> mm -hmm. But for sprints and stuff, when you have to be there in person, that's, you can't really have that. But it's, it's weird because you kind of sometimes go into this role of kind of babysitter in terms of like computers, like laptops <laughs> down, pencils down, everyone. Like, do you need more time? Let's have a bio break. Oh, I hate when people, I hate that. Do you, Robert, have you guys done any design sprints? Do you facilitate any of those or like projects, like kickoffs and stuff? Yeah, so typically what we have is we have various stages as I'm sure you guys have as well. So we prefer to start with discovery always. Uh, test assumptions, mm -hmm. test like what they yep. believe, uh, talk to some of the people that are gonna use the, the end, end product, you know, talk to the stakeholders, see if it's possible to actually build what they wanna build. Like I had a very interesting client in which that was the longest discovery phase ever. It took several months because we, we were trying to do uh. something around, um, I don't know how much information I can say, but it was around protecting your child's privacy, basically. And how, because everyone has smartphones nowadays and you can just Instagram and Snapchat and WhatsApp and you can do so many things and you can literally pictures are flying all across the, the internet, you know, and <laughs> a 14 year old doesn't really have any clue of what that means yet, you know, for their long term reputation and so on. So, and safety, because many times you don't know who's on the other side, you know? So we were working back and forth with this company. Hey, is it possible? Is it not possible? What are we trying to accomplish and whatnot? It literally took us so much time to convince them we can't do it. And not just we can't, and most people won't be able to do it because they were literally mm. expecting us to get all of the messages from WhatsApp and then filter them and then get the, the get the pics from oh, Instagram wow. and filter them and then Facebook Messenger and text messages and so on. And like, we can't do that. We literally, it's against, it's uh, illegal. We cannot, it's against the policy of iOS and Android and all, you cannot hack into other apps. It just doesn't work that way. And I say, well, there must be a hack. Yes. And the moment you market yourself, as the person that found a hack to get into WhatsApp, WhatsApp will just put a thousand developers to find out what hack you found and just block you out. And then the quarter million dollars you invested into us finding a hack will literally be useless because they'll, yeah. they'll have more manpower to put into just fighting against us. And it'll be a constant battle you won't win against these giants, you know? So that's a discovery phase typically. But uh, mm. this was atypically long, so it lasted months that we were trying to explain. Wow. Uh, we did try to to get, and we ended up working with them because they ended up trusting our judgment. <laughs> oh, hooray for that, you know, <laughs> after after <laughs> that much time, they, at least that happened. So that was something good that came out of it. And we did work with them on, on various other things. So that, that ended up being being good, fruitful. But so you have discovery and then you have initial design, which is like uh, storyboarding and UX design and doing things like that, discussing, going back and forth. After that, you have UI or polish, you know, where, where you agree on all of those things. And after that, you have you start development. So sometimes mm -hmm. it, it goes very like waterfally, you know, it goes in this specific order. Other times with other people that are under deadlines again. Then they want everything to just start, you know, and just put one week into thinking about how it's going to 
act like one week and thinking about how it's going to look like and then start, you know. And so those are also more time and materials because like you need to go, you need to go sprint and sprint and sprint and redesign and rejudge if your assumptions were correct and so on. So it just depends on on what you have to yeah. deal with. But yeah, we do, sure. do sprints all the time. So I know we're kind of approaching time mm -hmm. right now. I would love to know, so what's your favorite part mm. of all those steps? What's you, what's the one that inspires you the most? Which one do you get the most out of? I feel that I get most out of seeing the entire system work because I, mm -hmm. I'm more, so I've, I've been a programmer. I actually have a BA in engineering. So I, I love, I love the geeky stuff. Uh, I've been a designer for a couple of years. I've been a marketer for a couple of years. I've been in sales for a couple of years. So I yeah. just, I just been across the board. I understand how business works, how, how all of those things come together. Hence why I now have more strategic positions. And so I just find incredible peace in knowing that people know what they should be doing today, tomorrow, one week from now, one month from now, and things actually work and people actually get the results they were expecting. You know, that is my favorite part, making sure everyone's on the same page and people have their weekly meetings and then they understand what they need to do, you know, and so on and so forth. And at the end of the day, people get what they pay for, you know, and they're very happy. And then because many times for, especially for small businesses or for charities, it literally changes their entire business. It's, it's literally life-changing for the business and for the people in it, you know, or with the dermatologist, for example, it's industry changing, you know, so seeing all of it, the entire process work start to finish for like from a top level, that for me is like most interesting. Yeah, it's so fun when at the end of the day, you see what you can create with other people mm -hmm. and how sometimes like you can't do it, you can't do it alone, right? No. And for something as huge as that. So it's mm -hmm. really cool to see everyone coming together and in the end, like, looks like, oh my God, we made this thing and it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. that. That's great. It really is. <laughs> anyway, Kyle, do you want to do the foot, the footnote stuff? <laughs> I don't know how to do the footnote stuff anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so this is episode 55. Woohoo! 55. Good number. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at TentativeFM. You can email us at host at TentativeFM. You can get this episode at tentative.fm slash 55. Yeah. Rate us on iTunes. That too. Robert, do you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you, follow you, do whatever? Yeah, so anyone can get in touch with us at dgstudio.com. We love adding value. We love helping everyone. If they just uh, search for me, I have various roles at various companies, so that might be confusing, but they can find me on LinkedIn. I, I'm sure you guys will have my name in the footnotes. It's yep. it's weirder to explain. It's Robert, which is simple, but then my family name screws it up. It's like I-N-D-R-I-E-S, Indriesh. So it's just complicated. Sorry about that. <laughs> No worries. We'll put it all in the footnotes. So perfect. Cool. Well, this is fun. Yeah. Thanks again, yeah. Robert, was, for being on the show. Yeah, it was great talking with you. Thanks so much for having me, guys. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Bye guys. I'm Derek. I'm Sean. And, and we, we host, host the Bike Shed. Shed. We talk about the projects. Sometimes we read code. It's very exciting. Ooh. <laughs> the people. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Vitahi. Hi, Olivier. Thanks for coming on, Sandy. And everything else that influences our lives as developers. 
Oh, like speed dating, but yes, for exactly. employers. Yes, and I was pretty sure it was going to be bad. And was it? It was bad. So join us every Friday on, on the, the Bike, bike shed. shed. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.